Father, um, the words in that song, uh, my perfect, spotless righteousness, Father, is um, something that we do celebrate this morning as we are going to uh, take the Lord's Supper. And um, Lord, that's how you see us, Lord, if we've put our faith and trust in you. And um, that's just one of the benefits that we can rejoice in and give thanks for this morning. And uh, Lord, as we just look at uh, <clears throat> all the different um, meanings of, um, of this uh, act of the Lord's Supper that we celebrate this morning, God, I just pray that you'd um, open our eyes to maybe some new, some new things that you have for us to just uh, see the wonderfulness of, of what you established, um, to rejoice in it even more, to uh, grow closer to you and our relationship with you, and um, just encourage us and nourish us, Lord, from your word as we um, really fellowship with you, Father, um, as you say, that um, is not the, the bread of partnership in the body of Christ and the cup of partnership in the blood of Christ. And so, um, Lord, help us to be attentive this morning as we uh, learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so, um, this morning, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And, um, uh, and oftentimes, you know, if we're going through a series like the book of John or when we're going through Ephesians and we get to the fourth Sunday, we just continue on through that book. Uh, like right now, we're going through Ephesians. And then we will just uh, end up doing like the Lord's Supper after the, after the message uh, in that book. But from time to time, um, we decided it would be really good just to kind of have a focused message time um, around the Lord's Supper. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And uh, we'll do this from time to time just to devote a, uh, a message um, about the Lord's Supper and why we celebrate this together. Um, and this, mor this morning's message may seem more like um, a Sunday school style message, um, if you will, um, because we'll be looking at how the Bible answers five questions. And uh, those questions about the Lord's Supper are, why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper? How should we celebrate the Lord's Supper? When should we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Where should we celebrate the Lord's Supper? And what is the purpose for celebrating the Lord's Supper? And I probably should say, why do we call it the Lord's Supper? Uh, we'll get to that because we'll read it in the passage, but it's because Paul calls it that. Um, <clears throat> but um, I'll, I'll explain why I think he probably called it that. Um, so be ready. We're going we're gonna to look at some passages in uh, Luke and a couple here in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. So um, if you've got your hard copy Bibles, be ready to turn to a diff couple of different passages. And if you're using your electronic Bibles, just be ready to use your fingertips. Um, <clears throat> so if you could please turn to 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to read uh, chapter I mean, verses 23 through 34. Was anyone surprised by the nice sunny weather this morning? It kind of, it kind of like, it, Troy and I were driving up here, and then all of a sudden it was just like 
hey, wait a minute, it's sunny out. I kind of don't even remember when it was sunny the last time. But um, because it's sunny, um, we decided we're going to have the baptisms outside at this little pond over here by the... No, just kidding. I think Danielle walked out of it, so she can't. I can't joke her because she's not in the room. Um, okay, so 1 Corinthians 11, 23-34. And I will read this and just please... Um, I mean, don't read out loud, but just follow along with me. (laughs) This is Paul writing. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. So um, there's some aspects where we'll go deeper than this, but just at first glance, I just want to look at some obvious general observations from the get-go uh, to answer a few of these questions that I brought up at the beginning here. So when should we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Um, so you'll see from this passage, Paul uses the word a couple times in here. He says, as often, okay? As often as you um, drink the bread or eat the bread and drink the cup. And um, so in my understanding... Paul is not prescribing a set timing for the church to have the Lord's Supper, but rather he really uh, tends to focus more on the why and the what rather than the when here. And so in cases like this, I think we've said this type of thing before, but you know, studying the Bible when it's not prescriptive doesn't exactly say, this is, this is when you shall do it. You shall do it X number of times per year, you know, or something like that. Then in those cases, as elders, um, you know, uh, or even as God's people, we believe that, that God allows his people the flexibility to determine the when. And so we've decided, you know, at this point in time that, that we'll do it once per month. And, you know, as you guys know, we do it on the fourth Sunday of the month. But um, because there's flexibility, you know, maybe at some point that might change. Uh, but that's, that's what we happen to be doing right now. And... Um, I mean, other people do it differently. Some people might do it weekly. Um, I heard uh, just when I was just preparing for this of a group of Jewish believers that they only do it once a year. Uh, 
because they feel like when Jesus kind of instituted um, the Lord's Supper, it was at a time that he was celebrating Passover with his disciples and the Passover holiday in the Jewish faith only comes up once a year. So they do it once a year. But in my understanding, since the Lord's Supper involves really an element of self-examination, even though of course we could examine ourselves at any given time, but I feel like part of the purpose of the Lord's Supper is that God created this element of self-examination in the process. I think it would be better to have it more often than, than less often. And um, our hope is that we all would use these opportunities to evaluate your relationship with the Lord, especially at these times, um, a time of self-reflection, especially. Um, so at this point in time, you know, we just, we have it once, once a month. Um, you know, we, we, I've got some questions for the A&I time so that uh, you guys can go more, talk more about this and some of your experiences. And, and, um, and so uh, you guys can talk about that more then. So let's take a look at the why. Um, so let's look at Luke, if you can turn, we're gonna come back to this passage in Corinthians, but um, so you might wanna hold your finger there, but we're gonna go over to Luke chapter 22. <clears throat> And I'm going to start reading in chapter 7 and read through uh, chapter, verse 7 to to verse 20. Okay. Um, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, that's Jesus, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came... He reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So we'll stop there. So I have to admit this morning that I have not done enough research to tell you what a Passover meal looked like in the days of Jesus. Um, how many of you have just in our day and time ever been to like a church where they kind of reenacted like a Passover meal? Okay, so I, I have two, I think probably twice in two different churches I've done that. Well, as I was, you know, kind of looking at this, um, and, and I've even seen actually where 
sometimes they try to like, they, they draw parallels from the Passover Seder meal. And, but um, as I was looking into this yesterday, it turns out, you know, there's 15 steps to the Passover Seder meal, but those actually were written by a rabbi like a few hundred years after Jesus's time in a book called something called the Haggathah or something like that. So it was, so I'm not sure that like, that's exactly how the Passover was done in here with Jesus and his apostles because it was, like I said, it was later that that was, maybe it was or maybe it wasn't, but I'm just saying that like, I, I'm not sure that the Passover, how it is done today is exactly how it was during Jesus' time. But the point that I'm trying to make, that's the important point, is that sometime during this Passover meal, um, Jesus stopped and he said, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So regardless of how the Passover meal went with them and the steps and the Seder and all this thing, Jesus did something new here. And he took the bread and he did this and he took the cup and he did this. And so he was instituting something new. And um, so you also can see the same, um, uh, pretty much the same elements of this passage in Matthew. You can see it in Mark. You don't see it in John. You, John's book was you know, kind of different than the other guys, and he seemed to focus more on um, uh, the teachings of, of Jesus. So even though he was there that night, he, you can see in like John 15 and, and 16 that um, John recorded a lot of things that Jesus said that night, but he didn't record exactly what went on at the Passover meal uh, as far as th um, this part itself. Um, and then, of course, Paul, um, can't leave him out. He was personally instructed by Jesus, and he says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and so forth and so on. And he, you know, Jesus told him what had happened because he wasn't there like the original apostles. So the obvious answer to why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper is because... Jesus said to do this, and in order to remember him. <clears throat> so if you think about that for a minute, um, I was just thinking about this, this about, he said, do this to remember me. And um, I'm hoping I'm not like the only person in the room that kind of thinks like this or has gone through this in their life, but um, uh, have you ever experienced where like you have like, it, I'll call them benchmarks in your life where it might be some, it could be some event, some special event that happened in your life or, or maybe it's, it's a special place that you are, are fond of, you know, or um, it could be uh, a special item. And uh, there may be times or times in your life um, where you've gone back to that to remind yourself of the past, um, for me, it's typically, it's typically a place. It's not an item. 
Um, it could be an event, but a lot of times it's a place, okay? And um, about 10 years ago, I had a project at work that was um, very highly stressful. I had to report to a director level person who clearly had the ability to fire people at any time they wanted, and this person was kind of known for that. So I really didn't like being in the situation I was in, and um, it was kind of a project that really wasn't set up to be successful, but I knew that like if I wasn't successful, I'd be in trouble. So anyway, um, so anyway, during that time, um, I happened to have a business trip uh, back to Northern Virginia, which is where you know we moved from to come out here a long time ago, 1992. And uh, back then, before I was married, I used to, um, there used to be a place that I would go to. It was this uh, field um, near George Mason University that um, I used to stop by a lot of times on my way home, and I would just park the car and get out and kind of like take walks and talks with the Lord. And it was a time that the Lord was like just doing a lot of neat things in my life. And so um, on that trip, I just decided one night to uh, leave the hotel and go drive around and, and kind of go look at some of the old places like our first house or um, where I used to live when I was single um, with a bunch of other guys. And, and then I went over to that field and uh, Turns out it wasn't a field anymore. They had ended up building a baseball complex there. Um, but I still, I got out and sat in the bleachers and just was communicating with the Lord. And um, he just reminded me of his faithfulness and how he was faithful, you know, back then and how he'd be faithful to me now uh, during this stressful time. And it just really encouraged me. And um, it just... That's, that's kind of what I'm talking about when I'm talking about these benchmarks. And um, so I don't think it's by coincidence or accidental that God instituted the Lord's Supper for a time of remembrance, okay? And in the Old Testament, he even did this. You know, he would oftentimes when he did something great, he would have the people build an altar or you'll see sometimes they would just build a pile of rocks, okay, to where like, it would say like, hey, when you go by that pile of rocks, I want you to remember that thing that I did, okay? And um, so it's, it's very consistent that God would have us do this. And so, um, so why, does call Paul, why does Paul call it the Lord's Supper? Um, we, we read that in 1 Corinthians uh, 10 when he, when he said... Uh, Actually, did we time out? Yes. Actually, we 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 didn't. We started we started later. But he he in verse seventeen he starts about giving them instructions. He didn't come. Well, we'll get to this. But they were arguing. They were doing things that wasn't loving. But he said, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat for an eating. Each one goes um, ahead with his own meal or goes hungry. Another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you. And then he starts talking about 
how the Lord's Supper, you know, was to take place. Um, but I think that Paul probably called it the Lord's Supper because the Lord himself initiated this. And um, even though Paul was not there with the other um, apostles at that last supper that Jesus did this, um, Jesus confirmed to him these events because Paul just lays it out exactly how it happened that we read in Luke. Um, so we talked about the um, we've talked about the the when we've talked about the um, why. Let's talk about the uh, the where. Um, but we'll catch the who is also. Who is the Lord's Supper for? Okay. Um, it's for the gathered family of believers in Jesus. Okay. And uh, we, make, we make up part of that family right here. We're, we're a gathered family of believers in Jesus. Paul used the phrase, if you, if you counted it here in 1 Corinthians 11 that we go through, he uses this phrase, when you come together, five times in this passage, when you come together, when you come together, when you come together. And then one time he says, when you come together as a church. Well, what is the church? It's the family of believers in Jesus gathered together. Okay, that's the church. And uh, so with respect to the question, where should we celebrate the Lord's Supper? I just want us to understand, again, that back in the day, you know, if Paul wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus or the church in Corinthians um, to one of these cities, you know, I don't know, but let's just say they had 2,000 believers in that city. Um, there might be 2,000 believers. There, well, let's just say, I don't know how many believers there are in Liberty, okay? But if there's 2,000 believers here that go to like Pleasant Valley, they might have an auditorium that can seat 2,000 believers, right? So if they have the Lord's Supper, there might be 2,000 people in there celebrating the Lord's Supper at one time. But back in, back in the day here, um, that's typically not how it went. You know, I mean, if Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians, they were passing that letter around to the different churches they were probably meeting in very small venues like in homes or some other small venue. They, they didn't necessarily have a big church with a big auditorium that seat, seated two or three or 4,000 people. So um, I only say that just to break down the stigma that the Lord's Supper always needs to happen in this big gathering during the Sunday morning service um, so that you understand that we may from time to time have the Lord's Supper during a life group time or even other gatherings of the church. Okay, because who is it for? It's for when you come together. The family of believers in Jesus gathered together is, you know, who the Lord's Supper is for. It doesn't mean that it has to be all of us in one building under the same roof, all 80 of us at one time. You know, it could be 10 of us or 15 of us or five of us you know, however it might be. Does that make sense? So we've talked about the why we celebrate the Lord's Supper, when we should celebrate the Lord's Supper, where we should celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now let's look at how we should celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, again, we'll, we'll look at this passage that we've looked at already. <clears throat> and um, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck here, but it's really rather simple it involves eating bread and drinking the cup. And we see from Corinthians that it's not about eating a full-blown meal. Paul definitely makes that clear that he was kind of scolding them about that. Um, 
And Paul doesn't specify anything about the bread, right? He just says, um, uh, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup. Um, I think we can probably deduce from Scripture that the bread that uh, Jesus ate with the apostles at the Last Supper was probably unleavened bread because they were eating the Passover meal. And at the Passover, the Jews were required to eat unleavened bread. Um, but Paul doesn't say here that, like, you know, we must eat unleavened bread. I've had um, the Lord's Supper times where, you know, we've passed around leavened bread and people have taken pieces of it. So uh, Paul doesn't, uh, what he doesn't say is, like, what kind of bread has to be used. He just says bread. And then, um, so it involves bread and, um, and then Jesus also alludes to the fruit of the vine. So at the Last Supper, it was most likely probably some type of wine. Um, typically here, we'll use something from the fruit of the vine, but typically it's, it's, a, it's a form of the fruit of the vine in the form of, gra- of grape juice. So as far as the process of how the bread and the cup are distributed, I just want to make this clear too. I mean, what you all are used to seeing here is we typically, the deacons typically come up and... Um, they pass out the bread and the cup. Um, But as you can see from the scriptures, there's no real instructions on the process of how that bread and the cup is distributed. So I just wanted to, again, make clear that there's no prescription in scriptures how that happens. So in the future, it may be different. You know, we may do that differently because it's kind of, there's flexibility. God leaves flexibility to the believers in how that process would look like. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> I've saved the most significant part, in my mind anyway, of the act of the Lord's Supper to the end, and that is, what is the purpose of celebrating the Lord's Supper? And, um, and that's where a lot of these songs that were sung this morning kind of fit into this, what is the purpose of celebrating the Lord's su- Supper? So um, an obvious one here in 1 Corinthians 11, is it's clear that there is, one of the purposes is there's the physical act of eating the bread and drinking the cup. Okay, that's clearly one of the purposes is we're going to physically eat bread and we're going to drink of the cup. Second, we see clearly that there is a mental aspect involved, okay? And um, what is that mental aspect that we are called to do? We're called to remember Jesus, he says, um, Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He said, do this to remember me. And I already talked a little bit about um, remembering, um, you know, the benchmarks that Jesus, you know, or just benchmarks that I've had in my life. And and I think this is why Jesus calls us to do this. Um, And so, I want to just take a minute to focus on this mental aspect because, um, you know, whenever you have to use your mind, right, to do something, he's saying, do this in remembrance of me, right? To remember something, it takes a little bit of work on your part of your mind to do it. You could just put your mind in neutral while we're passing the bread and the cup. You could just put your mind in neutral 
and just be like, okay, here we go again, you know, just pass it out and I'll, you know, do the physical act of eating it and drinking it, right? But that's not what Jesus is asking us to do. He's not asking us to be daydreaming while we're eating and drinking. He's not asking us to think about what we're going to be doing after the service or where we're going to eat lunch. But he's asking us to have a conscious directing of our minds on him and especially his dying on the cross for our sins. So there is an element of, of work on your minds, okay, in this act of the Lord's Supper this morning. So um, just, just keep that in mind, you know, and, and I think that's part of taking the Lord's Supper in a manner that is worthy of him is remembering him with an alert mind that you are remembering him in that way. Your mind is not in neutral, okay? Um, so we've observed so far these three things, eat, drink, and remember. However, it gets much better than this. Um, because if I was an unbeliever this morning, and let's say I wasn't here, I was just sitting out there, and I'm an unbeliever, right? I mean, if I was an unbeliever and I knew historical facts about Jesus, right, I could do those three things. I could eat, I, someone could pass me the, the, the bread and the cup, I could eat, drink, and I could remember. I could remember that, oh, I remember that. I, I, I learned a historical fact that Jesus died on a cross for the sins of mankind. I could do all those things, okay? But that's why it's much more than just this mental aspect. It's more than just the physical aspect of eating and drinking. It's more than just the mental aspect of remembering some historical facts. But there's also a spiritual nature to the Lord's Supper, which no unbeliever could ever experience. And this is the best part, okay? Jesus says, um, this is my body. <clears throat> so what does that mean? I mean, I think some of you probably... I know, I've talked to you before. You, you grew up in a church like I did where they actually believed that um, the elements, you know, we have, we have bread and, and some grape juice here. They believed that um, a leader had the power to pray a prayer and then these elements would actually turn into the actual body and blood of Christ. The, 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 I mean, the real, be the real body and blood of Christ. So they had to be, very careful to like not drop them and just all kinds of things at that, at that point because they were the actual body and blood of Christ. And um, there was even a time in church history when um, different countries, I'll just name one, it was, it was England. It was kind of like a theocracy, which I think means that uh, um, basically the church and the state were like one thing. And uh, they burned certain people at the stake, um, like especially Protestant reformers, who went, who would not basically, who denied that it wasn't the actual body and blood of Christ. They, they killed many Protestant reformers that would not, if they asked them straight to their face, do you believe this is the body and blood of Christ, the actual? And they said, no, they would take them away and, and kill them. Uh, that's, I mean, that's, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, but to help understand why we do not believe that Jesus did not mean that the bread and the cup were his actual body and blood, let's look at 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 21. And there's 
hopefully, you know, we'll definitely get to this during the A&I time because I got another passage in John 6 that I want us to look at uh, where Jesus also gives us uh, a clue as to what he means by um, the body and blood of Christ. But let's just look at 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 21. So he says, and we're going to get more into this passage in a, in a few minutes here, but right here he just says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. <clears throat> the cup of blessing, he's talking about the same, the cup, you know, the cup we're talking about. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So the, one of the keys is this word participation. Okay, what does participation mean? Um, so this word participation here, um, you guys are very familiar with it because you've heard the word koinonia, right? How many of you have heard the word koinonia? Okay, that word means, we always use it to, when we say fellowship, okay? And we know that it's more than just like having a, a potluck, okay? Always talk about that. Fellow, the word koinonia is more than just a bunch of us getting together and having a potluck meal. It, it's like real connectedness. It's, it's real, I mean, like soul-to-soul -soul connectedness with each other spiritually. I mean, and, and, um, and so that's what this word means. Um, it's not the cup of blessing that we bless. It's not a koinonia in the blood of Christ. And the bread that we break is not a koinonia in the body of Christ. So literally, when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we're experienced as sharing or fellowship in his body and blood. We experience a partnership in his death. Um, and um, this, I, I hate to say this, but you know, I was trying to think of some analogies and I know these are really weak. I'm, there's people I know that are really good at thinking up analogies, but I'm just gonna throw these out there because uh, you know, maybe in your A&I time, maybe someone can come up with some good analogies, which would be great if you can. But um, all I could think of is like, when you see a big tree, right? I mean, a tree with all kinds of branches, right? You got the trunk and the roots go down and then all the branches. But let's just say this little branch, this pinky branch right here, right? It's hard to like do that without that one moving. So I'll, I'll do this one anyway. Um, but that, that branch way on the end, right? That branch is still sharing in everything that the roots that are many hundred feet away and then down in the ground, like the nutrients that those roots get, that little branch right there that's way out on the end is still sharing in those nutrients because they come up, go through the trunk, go all the way out to the end to nourish that branch out there. Um, another analogy, I don't know, 
is that like, I'm obviously the great, 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 great grandson of somebody who I don't even know who it is, right? But I am experiencing a sharing of some traits of that person by way of their genes. I, I, I don't even know what they, what they are, but um, there's some traits that I am sharing with that person because of their genes. And um, so, again, um, there's another clue. Well, the clue in this passage about how the, when Jesus says, this is my body, what does that mean? The clue in this passage is in verse 18 where it says, he says, he uses the same word, um, really the root word is the same. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. So he uses the same verbiage about participating, but with the altar. And in verse 18, it's obvious that he does not mean that we eat the altar. So when he says, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? We're not, it's not the actual blood of Christ. Um, and here, just like when he says we're participating in the altar, we don't actually eat the, the wood of the altar. Um, but what it, I'll, I'll tell you what, my understanding is what it means. And again, you know, you know let's look at John 6 in the A&I time. We'll see what, what Jesus uh, said it meant as well. But um, so what it, in 18, what he really means is that we share in the benefits of what happens at the altar, okay? So in the Old Testament, what happened at the altar? There was an animal sacrificed, guilt was removed, sin was forgiven, and peace was established between God and his people, but only for a period of time. Obviously, as you know, in the Old Testament, they had to do that every year. But that's what participating in the altar meant. They shared in the benefits of what happened at the altar. So we're sharing in the benefits of what the blood of Christ represents, what the body of Christ represents. We're sharing in those benefits. And um, that's how we're participating in the body and blood of Jesus. So let's think of some things that we share in or fellowship with Christ in, okay? Um, I'm just going to name a few. And I, during our discussion time, um, another one of the questions is for you guys to think of some more things that we share in, okay? There's just so many of them, okay? That's why this part is the best part. You know, it's just, we physically eat and drink, we remember him, his death on the cross, but then we participate in the body and blood of Christ, which means that we share in, in the fellowship of Christ and what, what all the benefits of those things are. One is forgiveness of sins. And these forgiveness of sins are for all time. Not like in the altar where it was just one time and then the next year came, you had to do it again. I want, us, I want everyone to turn to Micah 7 because um, this passage is just a great passage and maybe it's something that'll stick with you this morning uh, that you can just think about. But I mean, this is, this is one of the things that we share in with the Lord Jesus because of what, what he's done for us at the cross. Um, okay, Micah 7. <clears throat> and we're gonna I'm going to read 18 through 20. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, 
and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham. You have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. I don't know about you guys, but I just love this phrase. Um, He will tread our iniquities underfoot. I mean, he just, our iniquities, he's just going to like stomp them out, you know. Um, Another one pops up, you know, he's just going to stomp them out. He will cast them into the depths of the sea. I, I don't even think, I, you know, dare say that we as humans have not yet, you know, found the lowest part of the oceans yet. Um, so that's pretty far. So forgiveness of sins is, is uh, something we share in with the fellowship uh, with Christ. Peace with God. Um, uh, says, therefore, we have peace with God um, in Romans. Joy in Christ. Uh, God gave Christ um, joy above everyone else, it says in Hebrews. Hope for the future, victory over temptation. I'm going to stop there because I want you guys to think of more during the A&I time. Um, so this is just truly another gift reserved for the family of God by the Lord himself. No unbelievers can, can experience this, okay? This, this is why this spiritual aspect of the Lord's Supper is something that only believers can experience. Um, so think on these things as we take the bread and the cup this morning. So we talked about the mental focus on remembering. We talked about what it meant to be sharers with Christ in the body and blood of Christ. So what else is in this passage? Um, Well, one I don't want to miss is that it says in 1 Corinthians 11, it says, uh, do this in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Um, So if we proclaim his death until he comes, what does that mean if we say until he comes? That means that he didn't stay dead, right? If he's going to come back, that means he resurrected. So again, um, part of what we, what the purpose of sharing the Lord's Supper is that we are proclaiming his death. We're proclaiming his resurrection as well. And, um, and that's a blessing because that is why we have hope in the future. That is why we can be confident that we have eternal life because he's going to come again. He didn't stay in the grave. So we can be very happy and joyful about many of these things that we've looked at this morning. Um, but I want to just end, I mean, I, I can't just let this go unnoticed um, and be neglectful to cover one last thing that I see from the passages in both both, uh, 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, and that is that there is a sacredness and a seriousness uh, to the Lord's Supper that we need to not only be aware of, but we need to act accordingly. And what I mean by this is um, I'm going to read a little bit, a couple more um, verses from these passages again. Okay, so 
I know most of you all are familiar with the verses in 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul warns them about eating and drinking unworthily, but let's just read these again. I'm going to start in verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. For when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world." So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, well, I'll just, I'll just stop there. And now um, I want to connect that with um, 1 Corinthians 10. Now, in 1 Corinthians 11, he's talking about how they were being very unloving to one another, okay, um, with, with, in regards to food and, and, and not sharing of food and not having regard for one another. Um, and 1 Corinthians 10, he's talking about idolatry and how they were just treating the Lord's Supper as one thing and, um, and still like really uh, living in idolatry as well. Um, so let's, well, I already read it all. I won't read it all again, but he's talking about, you know, you're, you're eating the Lord's Supper, which is offered to the Lord, and then we're blessing the Lord, and then you're also um, eating food sacrificed to demons, and, and you know, they, they don't go together, okay? It's like unequally yoked. Um, so anyway, um, again, from my background, okay, um, and again, I, I don't blame my, my uh, church on this. Uh, this is really probably on me, but I kind of learned, grew up learning that communion was, I knew it was like a sacred thing, but really to a point that I kind of felt like it had this inherent power to it, um, in other words, it was like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Like I could live however I wanted Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, and then on Sunday just take communion, and, um, and then like my slate was clean again. Um, so again, that's, I don't think that was really the understanding of the church I was going to. I think that was just um, me having a misunderstanding <clears throat> of things, uh, how I wanted to believe. And I think that that's what was going on here with these Corinthians as well. I think um, how they were looking at things, this act of communion, they were looking at it as um, like they were overestimating the power of the Lord's Supper and continuing to live lives that were not in accordance with ways that were pleasing to him. Um, in the one case, they continued in idolatry, as I said before, and the other, they were just blatantly being unloving to one another um, and thinking that somehow Participating in the Lord's Supper, you know, was oh, well, that's we can still do that, but we can we can totally live another life over here, but uh, but we can still do that. Um, so that's why Paul was giving them this warning. Okay, so it's as, it's as if what they were doing, and I know this is how I looked at it, held the act of communion as this higher thing than personal holiness. So the warning is, don't do that. There needs to be a self-examination, and. I want to be careful when I say that because I don't, I don't mean that you say, well, I'll wait till I'm perfect, you know, then before I take the bread and the cup, I'll just wait till I'm perfect because that's never going to happen, okay? What I mean is that you examine yourself in a humble manner, you recognize areas in your life where the Lord is speaking to you and saying, hey, that doesn't please me. And your response is, I agree, Lord, 
and I want to change. Please help me to change. Please help me to change. That's a humble manner. But if, if, that, if in that process, as you're examining yourself, even this morning, your attitude is, yes, I know, Lord. I know that doesn't please you, but I'm not changing. I know you want me to forgive that person, but I'm not doing it. You know, I, want you, I know you want me to be more loving towards that person, but I'm not doing it. You know, they wronged me and I don't care. Then you absolutely should not be participating in the Lord's Supper this morning um, until you have humbled yourself and, and have the, the attitude that I was just speaking about previously. So um, I said that I feel like they were overestimating the power of the Lord's Supper and continuing lives that were not in accordance with ways pleasing to him. But um, is there power in the Lord's Supper? I think the answer is yes, but it's not a mystical power. It's not like a get out of jail free card. It's not at, like the Corinthians were thinking it was. Um, I think it's power that comes from its true purpose, which is what I've been talking about all morning, which is to deepen and strengthen our participation or sharing in the benefits of the cross and to nourish our fellowship with Jesus himself. So we're going to sing a song. And then as we have the communion time, um, I urge you, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll do it in a manner slowly enough and we'll have the music playing. Again, that's not prescriptive in the Bible except it does say they sang a hymn afterwards, so maybe they did have music playing. <laughs> um, I urge you all to examine yourselves, first of all, and then be nourished and satisfied by the Lord by remembering his death on the cross for your sins. Delight in him and give thanks for the many benefits which he won for us by his victory over death and renew your relationship with him this morning. <laughs>